Welcome to Washington In Focus, powered by the Center Square, and a production of America's Talking Network. I am Jeremy Lott, regional editor of the Center Square Newswire for Washington State. To support great podcasts like, for instance, this one, please donate by clicking the link in the show description. Today, I am joined by crack reporters Spencer Polly and Raylan Riccarti, which rhymes with Havarti. Brett Davis uh, was off most of this week. He will allegedly be back next week. Uh, today, I'm going to begin by talking about a, a piece we ran yesterday titled Washington AG as an attorney general to litigants. Don't say tyrannical. Our attorney general, Bob Ferguson, uh, there, there is a, a case pending before the Supreme Court about the constitutionality of the capital gains tax uh, a, a lot of it hinges on whether or not the court is willing to, uh, depending on one point of view, look the other way and consider it not an income tax, which would have to, which could not be progressive. Um, and uh, one, you know, their friend of the court briefs for and against the Building Industry Association of Washington and the Washington Retail Association filed a brief. Part of that brief, in part of that brief, they said, no rational business owner wants to operate in an environment of legal uncertainty under a tyrannical legislature that ignores constitutional limits on its power. Wow, that's some kind of quote. <laughs> that's it. That's a quote. That's a quote and a half. It's a quote. Maybe it's a quote in three quarters. Hard to say. Bob Ferguson <laughs> told the Supreme Court, do not consider this brief as part of your, you know, cons- deliberations because... They're mean. <laughs> no, he said this is using uh, ad hominem attacks. It's counting, uh, you know, it's casting uh, aspersions on the legislature and the court. And you should, you know, if you accept this, you should make them refile it. And um, the, you know, the the BIAW in response said, well, look, here's a, an email from a legislator saying basically this, that this is a, that the court has ruled twice on this. Uh, and that we w- want to give the court a, a you know another crack at it uh, because it's a, a a more favorable court to this sort of thing, um, sort of buttressing the argument. <clears throat> to uh, the kicker is that after we published the story yesterday and we will follow up on it today, we found out that the Supreme Court decided to ignore Bob Ferguson and accept the brief. So. Huh. <laughs> that's a uh, yeah i just i thought i'd, I'd share that with you people because uh you know that's not by uh spencer or ray lynn that's uh, by a freelancer uh, named lawrence wilson but uh i you know i wanted to uh bring that to your consideration dear listeners and next we had to seattle downtown seattle sees more office workers seasonal tourism fall off spencer polly you wrote this one what is going on in downtown seattle well, basically, the number of office workers returning to their offices uh, in downtown just bumped up 2%. I mean, this has been kind of an issue that Downtown Seattle Association has been covering for a while in the reports. But basically, it went from 40% September to 42% in November, which was like the latest data. That might not seem like a lot, but comparatively to like all these other big cities on the West Coast, you know, it's good to see some improvements in there bustling down there. You see more businesses like coffee shops like that have more you know, engagement, what have you. Uh, I think of note there too, as well, is just that uh, tourism rates did drop a bit. I think it was like 3 million like tourists in August alone. And it just dropped to 2.1 last month. But I think what you know from that is because it's just seasonal. You know, once the weather gets cold, rainy and wet, people aren't going to really want to come as much. 
Yeah, you, you did a good job of, you know, looking at percentages for, for what the majors we have and saying, yeah, the numbers are down, but as a percentage, it's up from last year. So Yeah, no, that's, that's yeah, exactly We had a fun time accurately titling that one because you can, there's a lot of, uh, there's a lot of pitfalls and headlines like that one. It's so, a daily struggle we have. It's a daily struggle to get the headlines <laughs> punchy, but correct, you know? I think notably enough with that article, I'd like I'd, I'll add is just Thanksgiving weekend. You know, you have a lot of people come visiting. Uh, I think that was a couple hundred thousand in that weekend alone. And uh, I mean, I live nearby. So walking by, I just seeing how crowded it was, you're like, oh, this feels like a uh, middle of summer again. <laughs> just a little yeah, So what you're telling me is that, that 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 businesses in downtown Seattle had something to be thankful for. There you go. Wow. That yes. was a good one, Jeremy. Yeah. <laughs> in my best radio voice. So um, the next story is Seattle Public School bus ridership down, spending at all time high. What, why? What, what's the disconnect here? Well, <laughs> I mean, I think but this bus ridership for like the basic program, this is just the general school bus transportation was like down to 10,000 boardings um, throughout the school year. And um, that's like a huge, big drop off. But I think. What it was noticeable, I noticed while looking at the budget is that they're spending 40 million on bus contracts. And that's like the highest it's been. 40 million clams, 40 million dollars, 40 million smackaroos, people. The most they've ever spent. You do the schmeckles. Schmeckles. Okay. <laughs> uh, so I, I reached out to the Seattle Public Schools and referred me to a, an update they had, I think, two weeks ago. But basically, they say that. Their funding goes into they just first off, they distributed to two different bus uh, vendors, I think first student and Zoom. And so with that and they said the big reason that they increase funding was that because it's dictated by the number of riders they have, which has increased since it dropped last year, um, you know, ever so slightly. But also it's because they have a lot more routes they take and destinations you know they're picking up more students again so they have to go out of their way and that factors into this um funding it's still just interesting to know that you know when you see ridership low spending a lot on uh you know bus contracts i guess it's just kind of interesting to me yeah it's a lot per student right now or per trip i I don't know what you you can slice and dice it a number of different Mm -hmm. ways there's a couple of things that are contributing to low ridership. One is that because of all the disruptions, you know, parents found ways around, you know, had to, you know, if you couldn't get buses to and from schools, you know, you had to drive them. And a lot of parents made plans or made carpooling plans or, you know, found ways to get their kids to schools without buses in the past. And they and just some kept of that's doing continued. It. Yeah. They continued and then the doing other it. Thing, yeah. And, and then yes. And they've continued doing it. Um, and then another thing that uh, you, you discovered was that, you know, uh, weirdly, uh, the city making uh, bus transportation for everyone 18 and under free, uh, you know, has allowed a lot of kids to uh, go on city buses rather than school buses. Yep. Imagine I remember, that. We've, I remember us talking about that, how King County did in the first place, because they made more money doing that than actually just trying to charge these kids. <laughs> yes. Take care of a lot of subsidy from the state. Let's just That's say what that. it was. Yeah. <laughs> so, so, I mean, the, the, yes. I, I guess you just see how that affects, you know, ridership for the Seattle public schools. But I, I have seen a bunch of kids, you know, using the, the King County Metro buses, man. Yeah. It just seems well, like the, the other thing that you, you point out is there may be savings coming because they're going to change bell schedules going forward in Seattle public schools so that they can uh, use fewer buses, same, you know, same routes or, or similar routes and yep. uh, get some savings that way. So this may be the high watermark of spending 40 million 
you know, might be the high watermark, one can hope. That's what they kind of hinted at, that they might drop a bit, utilize money better, which would be, you know, a surprise. <laughs> yeah, and they do need to find savings because, as you've covered, Seattle Public Schools is facing a significant deficit going forward. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I'll be covering that more and more into the next year for sure. Indeed. Um, okay, now we go to, to Eastern Washington. Raylan, the, the, there's like half a this is a kind of a boring headline, but there's a fascinating story as part of this. It's Spokane uses four million in stimulus for past utility bills, taxes 28 more households. Now, the taxes 28 more households is the real story, isn't it? Yes, it is. They 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 decided to put four million dollars into paying these utility bills. And in that ordinance, they included um, they included assessing people who live in the city but access the county's wastewater treatment plant for services, saying that it was a matter of fairness. And that's been a pretty big issue because um, at one time they wanted all of the people that were, you know, the thousands of people that were using that facility, you know, to tax it or tax overall revenue from the facility. And the the county commission said, try it and you're going to have nothing but problems. So it seems to be like they selected these 28 people that are living in the city limits and accessing those county services. And it seems to be um, accepted by the county. There hasn't been a lot of pushback about that. So some people are saying it's opening the door to be able to do that ultimate tax, you know, at some point in the future. Okay. The the county said this is, you know, we can accept this. Like, we're not going to fight taxing. The, so the county's argument is that if you tax, try to tax this, you're going to be taxing people that are outside of city limits. And th- this, is, this is the definition of taxation without representation. Yeah, the and, county is vowed to fight that if they and, live out in the county. You know, like, we'll, we'll change whatever laws we need to to make your life very miserable if you try it. Right. And two of the counselors did not vote for the utility bill relief, even though they supported that because of it, of having this other very controversial subject in the same ordinance. You know, they felt there should have been a separate discussion and vote over that. If this was in the state legislature, that would be a problem uh, because they have a one subject rule. It's, I believe it's a constitutional one subject rule. So the if they were to try to stick these two things together, it could be challenged in court. But Raylan and I were talking about this and we don't believe that the the Spokane City Council has uh, or the charter has a imposes a one subject rule on things like this. Yeah, not 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 in the city code. And then we're going to do something uh, that could backfire. It could blow up. It could it could claw my eyes out. Um, the uh, I'm going to ask Raylan about two pieces that she's written and that she's filed and that I have not yet read. So <laughs> uh, interesting experiment in new journalism, we'll call it. Um, the first one is titled uh, Stevens County Rancher appointed to Wolf Advisory Group. Who is this rancher? What happened here? So interesting that you should say claw your eyes out in reference to a wolf story. Very appropriate, Jeremy. Anyway, anyway, um, Scott Nielsen is the president of the Stevens County Cattlemen's Association, and he's on the board for um, Cattle Producers of Washington, and he's been highly critical of the state's management of wolves, saying that they're putting more and more of the burden to try to control the predator's behavior on ranchers when they need, when the state needs to be the one that's, you know, stepping up and reducing conflicts. Anyway, so he's been a pretty controversial figure and he's had some pushback from the department on his comments, but they did appoint him to the wolf advisory group, which is made up of hunters, conservationists, like a kind of a broad array of perspectives. 
and they are tasked with trying to help um, ranchers find ways to reduce you know, make recommendations to find ways to reduce attacks. And so it'll be really interesting to see what Scott does because, you know, now he's sitting on the other side of the fence. So, you know, he says that he will continue to speak out on behalf of ranchers because he doesn't believe that most people are really aware of what's happening on the ground. And and one of the cattle ranchers, for instance, loses 70 cows a year, which is significant amount of, you know, loss. And um, I mean, that's a lot of beef. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Where'd it go? Where's the beef? So the companion piece to that is that group, the Washington, the Wolf Advisory um, Group, yeah, sent a letter to, to... Yeah, that's Wildlife Group wants exploration of livestock carcass disposal options to reduce wolf attacks. So they want the state to bring together a lot of different agencies and discuss options because getting rid of carcasses is a way to keep wolves from being attracted to a property you know, and they're recommending like on on the private lands that they figure out ways to to. It's expensive to dispose of a wolf of a cow carcass. You know, they're big and it takes heavy machinery to bury them, and and so they want to look at all kinds of different options for that because it's a it's a huge deterrent to wolf attacks. And and the director has agreed to to have those agencies look at the issue, and um, so you know it's under advisement. Okay. Um, so the, you know, ha- having a, a, a critic of, you know, the, the state's way of doing things on the, on the uh, advisory council, uh, you know, there's a, there's a famous saying about this, keep your, your friends close and your enemies closer. Right. Um, and it seems to me what they're doing here is that, would that be an accurate or at least probable assessment? He's he's represented the ranchers up in northeastern Washington, which is where the attacks are occurring. The majority of wolf packs live there, and he's saying that the ranchers are just besieged now by the wolf problems, and um, they're not they're no longer even working with the state, so the state doesn't have accurate numbers on you know the losses because they've just given up. And so he thinks that it's very valuable to bring that perspective because the area that he is representing is the area that's hit hardest by this. And he, and he feels like they have a voice that needs to be heard. Uh, you know, there's a famous saying of uh, farmers and ranchers that we've talked about a little bit here. It's shoot, shovel and shut up. Are we kind of hitting a threshold where that's going to become much more likely uh, because of the uh, ever growing wolf populations? Well, they are investigating the poisoning of six wolves up in Stevens County and, you know, the ranchers are saying that conservationists could have done it because they want greater protections, you know, and the conservationists are saying the ranchers did it. And so there's a 50, little over $53,000 reward from the conservation groups, you know, for information leading to the arrest. And that happened last February. And, and I don't think they have, you know, leads at this time. But um, they they certainly, the ranchers feel like, you know, there is more chances of that happening than then ranchers cooperating after a point because you just take repeated losses trying to go along with the program and you don't get compensated for all of it yeah no but it's interesting though that the when one of the things you, when the the poisonings were brought to light you know a lot of ranches were saying this clearly wasn't us because they found the carcasses. Like you wouldn't have found those bodies if we did this. Like they they wouldn't be there. 
Yeah, they're really suspect about, you know, who did it, you know. And so um, the ranchers believe that because they've had where they've had hunts, you know, sanctioned hunts of wolves because of the amount of, of cattle that they've killed. And then someone has come out and killed that rancher's some of that rancher's cattle or in one case horses to pay them back for the wolves being, you know, euthanized. Yeah, that's some Godfather stuff right there. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's a very serious issue in Washington state. And there is a lot of anger on the, on the, in the Northeast side where they're having all these wolf problems because, um, it doesn't just affect the animal that's injured or killed the whole herd. You know, there's miscarriages and lost weight and trauma, you know, one rancher said his cow bolted over the fence and ran for Canada and he never found it again, you know, because it is so it, the stress, it's not only just a stress, but the time to manage everything, yeah. you know, and put up all the non-lethal deterrence and, you know, there it's a big haul for those ranchers. Well, it takes time, money and effort. The the, one of the things that we've talked about is, so, or you know, there, there's a very much a lack of trust between the state and the ranchers. Um, and you know, will will this appointment uh, help to repair some of that trust? Do you think? And uh, just generally, like, what what are the ranchers saying could work, and what do you think could actually work to to repair trust, so we could get you know a, a sort of a more reasonable consensus about this, if that's what we we're going to arrive at. Well, I think that having someone that, you know, has has been willing to step up and openly and publicly criticize the state for what it's not doing, you know, is going to be someone that the ranchers can trust. And their their solution is relatively simple, like manage the wolves like you do cougars, you know, let the ranchers protect their herd. You know, you can if a cougar is bothering your herd, you don't have to go through all the hoops, you know, and you can you can kill that wolf. It doesn't have to be a state sanctioned hunt. And uh, I think the ranchers are seeing that that's really the only way to make this work is to allow them to have flexibility to protect their herds. All right. Well, that makes sense. Um, before we end this podcast, uh, what are we doing for Christmas? I'm going to be hunkered down here because of the blizzard. I'm back home in here, Ohio. Here in Spencer's case is Ohio, which is his, yep. his home. <laughs> so yeah, how blizzardy is it out there? Not nothing yet. I made it like honestly 20 minutes ago and then hopped on this call. But it's going to be, I think, 50 mile per hour winds. It's going to rain today and then snow on top. So I would say yeah. don't drive is my best advice to anyone. <laughs> yeah, no, I mean, it's it. Yeah, if you can avoid driving in, in really bad conditions, avoid driving in really bad and conditions. I, I, I've talked to some, you know, some of my friends back in Seattle and they said the roads there were slick all around King County. <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. And what, what I think Linden got some of the worst, you know, Whatcom County, North Whatcom and Linden got some of the worst snow in the state. Uh, and, uh, the, it's gotten to the point where they've gotten enough off and they're the, the snowfall is not happening yet. It may, it may come for later. Um, so that you can travel the roads during the day if you're careful. And at night it's scary. Uh, so yeah, there's, there's going to be a lot of, uh, you know, hunkering down in front of fireplaces and whatnot, uh, this Christmas. Well, I'm part of, you know, part of what I'm checking on today is, um, 
you know, in Spokane where they've had the large homeless camp fight going on over whether they leave them there or not. It's uh, minus 11. And then with the wind chill, it's about minus 30. So these people are camping out. So I'm checking on that. But we're actually doing Christmas today because my brother's schedule accommodated that. So um, I'm planning recipes in my head even as we talk. Nice. Visions of sugar plums? Question mark? Uh, Not sugar plums. Okay, not sugar plums. We're doing ribs. Yeah, no, we've got even better. The, yeah, we you know we're we live relatively close to the parents, so at the evening we're gonna go over to their place. Uh, in the morning, we'll we'll let the kids open their their stockings and run around, and you know spin them up on sh- sugar like tops and let them run around. So have fun. I don't know. Looking forward to it. It's, it'll be a nice uh, time off and time with family. So I have a house full of old people here, so. You know, like we're gonna watch support your local gunfighter and sound of music. We got that is such a fun up. movie. I like. Wait, was it? Is it? I think it's support your local sheriff rather than gunfighter. Yes, we watched that for Thanksgiving. Yeah, I love. I love when he sticks his finger in the barrel of the gun and says, "Now try it." Yeah. So, all right, uh, that's about all the time we have for this week on watching it in focus. Thanks for hanging with me. Spencer and Ray Lynn. Uh, Brett will be back next week if uh, he feels like it. Make sure to subscribe to Washington In Focus wherever you get your podcasts. We will be back next time with more great podcast.